Welcome to yet another episode of the New Space India podcast. Today we have uh, Govind and Ramesh with me here who have been in the satellite communication sector for almost 30 years. And here we are today talking about the commercial satcom industry and the landscape and its emergence in India over the last 3 decades. To begin with, uh, let us talk about what exactly is uh, commercial satcom and how it can be defined in the indian context so govind if you can begin uh, thanks np yes it's always pleasure talking to you and appreciate your initiative uh, that you have been taking in uh, some of these kind of activities the commercial satcom uh, as you as you know the okay it started uh, probably in india in early 90s uh, uh, that all depends upon the availability of the resources that means the satellite capacity that are needed to provide commercial satellite uh, communications and uh, the various applications also that need to be considered for such things so in early 90s uh, uh, government also uh, allowed the use of uh, c band capacity of isro of course isro had uh, extended c band as they call for the use of uh, uh, satcom applications mainly vsats and allowed the private enterprises to apply for the license to provide uh, such uh, uh, services and uh, it really began very well in india uh, because there was no competition so whatever was the cost that was provided by isro and uh, the applications that needed for such communications uh, the available resources they used and it probably took off very well since fiber was also not available in the country at that time they found the satellite communication for commercial applications very useful so ramesh uh, let's uh, talk about uh, you know the time when the satcom began of course there was no internet at that particular time and um, you know the liberalization of the indian economy was still you know at the early very early phases uh, so therefore the one can say that the economy was still in times of you know shaping up the economy going through uh, the whole privatization of many sectors and so on can you talk a little bit about the demand side on uh, you know how the ecosystem was during the pre internet era and these uh, satcom things started to kick off yeah excellent actually uh, right i'm taking cue from where govind mentioned about the uh, the commercialization of the satcom industry in india i think one way to define it would be that which part of the whole business chain does do you get a private enterprise to get involved all along isro in its initial phase isro maybe as isro or in the avatar of department of space was always uh, holding all ends of the business chain but somewhere around uh, maybe as the uh, the demand start growing in early 90s there was some role by the private enterprise they opened up the private enterprise to play some role in the, in the entire chain of of the business that is probably one way to define the role of uh, or define what is commercial uh, satcom in india 
one nice way that we can probably look at the various stages of uh, the entire satcom business from 90s down to 2020 would be uh, put them in four different uh, categories one would be the the pre-internet era the era that was there uh, before the the government opened up the internet service policy and uh, allowed for private operators to play that's the pre-internet era and then the boom period where uh, internet started playing a very predominant role in in entire Indian business uh, cycle. That also opened up SATCOM market for India. There was a lot of uh, buzz and noise about uh, uh, internet service provider using satellite as the gateway to connect. That was, as Govind mentioned, was also the period where uh, fiber was still not there or, or if it was there, it was not, it was not in its uh, best form as we know it today. And uh, there was a free run period. We, I guess the, uh, the SATCOM guys in India had a free run for at least four or five years, early 2000 onwards. Slowly, uh, the fiber started coming in and uh, the enterprise started complaining about latency, an issue that didn't really exist then. And uh, fiber providing better latency. The internet service provider slowly switched out from... Uh, SATCOM or satellite as a connect to the uh, internet cloud to fiber. But then uh, a lot of resilience in the in the SATCOM uh, industry as such. What closed one uh, door opened up another door of opportunity. 2002-2003 onwards you have uh, a plethora of uh, broadcasters coming in. Even today I am told that there are about 200, 300 applications uh, for new satellite services, I mean, new satellite television channels to come in. And uh, maybe I could get corrected on this fact, but then every satellite, every broadcaster had to have his channel on, on the tele, on, on the satellite. So that opened up new opportunities, huge opportunities, opportunities that ISRO itself could not serve and uh, opened up for other Asian satellite operators to come in. Now we see satellite dying. I mean, now we see satellite television dying. No linear television is now on its way out with Netflix, Amazon, all uh, addressing non-linear requirements. And uh, the best part of the business is that while uh, broadcast as a market for satellite is moving out, new markets are coming in. We're talking about India having a huge initiative for uh, Bharat uh, broadband or uh, digital India and smart cities. So, nice interesting story about India in its commercial form, st starting from pre-internet down to smart cities. That's where I think uh, Narayan thinks look here. So, Govind, uh, you know, let us talk about the early phases of the 90s. You talked about C-band and, you know, the opening up of those services. Of course, ISRO has always been playing the role of providing the capacity over the Indian geography. Uh, but, you know, tell us a little bit about what were the kind of services that were provided uh, initially and who are the kind of players and equipment manufacturers and end users? Same. Uh, as Ramesh mentioned, of course, satellite communication applications uh, varies from VSAT to broadcasting. 
So in the early 90s, as you mentioned, mainly ISRO provided C-band capacity for, as we call, VSAT applications. VSAT applications could be many things. One of the primary things is to connect the ATMs. See, the, so banks also, they, in fact, they started what, what is known as RBI net. So they wanted to connect all the bank uh, through the VSAT uh, uh, terminals to provide the seamless uh, connectivity for the banking customers. So that, that's, that was one of the uh, major applications where many private VSAT operators started providing services. Apart from that, one of the major uh, applications, as I could see, is uh, tele-education and uh, tele-medicine. Both were the initiates, initiatives of uh, ISRO, and uh, obviously ISRO also encouraged private uh, uh, enterprises to provide uh, such uh, services. So, the, though, of course, it did not take off the way it was anticipated by the uh, original uh, thinkers of uh, both applications, but still I consider that as one of the major uh, steps, tele-education and uh, telemedicine using VSATs. And uh, there are so, so many other applications also, uh, because you know, uh, VSAT uh, which uses satellite, the technology has got its own strength and uh, limitations, no doubt. Always we have to use the medium making use of that uh, uh, strength. So satellite has got strength of providing point to multipoint and broadcast applications. So we have to use satellite for such applications where we don't consider fiber as a competitor. Fiber is another medium and this. Uh, so because of that, so lot of applications where you needed point to multipoint and broadcasting applications, uh, uh, VSAT and the SATCOM were used. Pramesh, so Owen talked about VSAT applications and banking and so on. Uh, how was the penetration or what created the demand for it? Was it pure policy that RBI laid down or the government laid down that created the demand or was the demand coming from the people themselves saying, okay, we need to have more ATMs in more different places and therefore banks took the initiative in uh, doing this? Yeah, good question. The Primarily, I think uh, what you call as the, the tipping point. The tipping point happened when uh, the, the private enterprise or the large public sectors realized that as they were expanding either their, uh, their manufacturing facilities in different parts of India or uh, looking for natural resources into interior India, they realized that their connectivity was a big problem. How do you connect when there is only one provider and the provider is slow? If you look at it, uh, there was probably, uh, there wasn't even BSNL as we know today, we only know it as devotee. So uh, that was the only way that you could get connected and devotee uh, laying of copper at that time was a big challenge and they were not really getting into deep interior uh, India, confining themselves to a few metros uh, in, the, in the country. That triggered the need for VSAT as a mode of connect. Thankfully, at that time, uh, ISRO was, uh, was playing a very positive role and uh, they saw th this need being reasonably well addressed through their 
satellites which were there using as govin said the extended c band the extent the choice of an extended c band is uh, is something else that we could probably leave it for another day of discussion because they could have st stayed with standard c band reduced uh, hardware cost but uh, that's another story to tell while that drove the market i believe one other point one other tipping uh, point story would be the then the share market the national stock exchange and the bombay stock exchange all of these uh, started seeing a huge transaction happening i i guess this is the early 90s or the early uh, yeah the mid 90s there was uh, the uh, the stock boom happening while the whole of the world was going into recession india was on the on the rise there tashad mehta and all these things happening at that time so that drove a need for uh, better connectivity between the various uh, stock exchanges and large stock brokers that was uh, another good opportunity that uh, so govind also mentioned the stock exchanges connecting using uh, satellite and uh, digital banking or banking as we know it today now mandates that you must have your your all your branches wherever they are connected on uh, on one or two modes of communication or connect so you may have a primary bsnl or a devotee connection but you still had to have a vsat link so these three things uh, drove the indian uh, market uh, with reasonable anticipatory demand coming up and uh, we had uh, at least uh, three or four large private players who were uh, driving the india market and uh, every year the number of uh, vsat installations kept growing we still were confined to data rates which were pretty low maybe two reasons for that the technology itself was not able to shape up to uh, provide higher data rates or the point was that uh, we had a policy which was slightly myopic in vision that uh, we're not opening up ourselves completely to see that that changed moment uh, india opened up to the internet market narayan so going uh, you talked about uh, this vsat again you know all of this needs a lot of uh, policy backing at a higher level as to how players will be involved how you know the equipment may be licensed how the frequency may be given out and all of these things so uh, how did the whole policy situation evolve because especially you have now two government departments one which is the department of space providing the capacity and uh, because it is also a, a lot of communication related Ramesh talked about uh, Department of Telecommunications DOT in this process. So, who set the policy and how all of these were happening? Yeah, that's a good thing. See, whenever you talk about the policy, I always say the policy should evolve. So, in the beginning, you always you have to define something and come out with some guidelines for people to comply with. So. in india it has been for satellite whenever anything related to satellite means it's always department of space uh, is the main uh, organization to drive and uh, for the services it is department of telecommunications so that means the licensor is department of telecommunications always who actually officially formulates the policy for the services the satellite component of that 
is always governed by department of space so that that's a healthy thing because two departments are involved uh, in this connection because you know satellite whenever we talk uh, satellite is always highly regulated market not only in india and globally so you you, you need to come out with certain policies to uh, for the people to comply with so what they did for what anybody will do in the beginning is to come out with certain policies allow the private companies uh, to comply with and as they move on they come out with lot of uh, issues concerns that need to be addressed that is what i think uh, uh, both dot and dos have been addressing which is a healthy thing that means it should get involved and address the concerns of the users mainly taking into consideration the interest of the government here uh, ramesh so when these technologies evolve uh, there's a lot of private sector people involved in the equipment side uh, there's a lot of training required for these installations there's a lot of uh, you know maintenance required there's a lot of technology on the ground side uh, to develop all the you know schemes and coding and all the other electronics behind it um, was all of these technologies uh, available with indian suppliers or uh were all of us uh, i mean uh, many of these technologies they were utilized uh, you know there's a foreign component to this as well yeah unfortunately um we were the lagards when it came to uh, bringing in or the use of uh, vsat in uh, in communication or connect uh, most of the other countries uh, especially i mean even closer neighborhood most of the uh, asean countries had reasonably well advanced by the time india opened up to more serious consideration of what technology to use and how do we stay connected so we began uh, with a bit of a handicap that uh, we had uh, had to adapt ourselves to what was there in the market but then uh, for some strange reason i i continue to say that we chose to be on a slightly different band the extended c band maybe because uh, that's where the satellites were designed or that's the the I, i don't know the broader intent behind that thing that resulted according to me i'm sure there are there's another viewpoint to this this argument is that that resulted in uh, the the big international hardware manufacturers having to tweak their equipment to suit up to this band which meant that uh, the demand for this particular band only came from india and that drove the prices that drove the prices and if the equipment prices went up finally the service prices went up and so we could have probably done better we could have maybe had a, a wider market our visas could have been more more populated or all over had we chosen to be uh, agnostic to the to the uh, band or the uh, hardware which you know, unfortunately we didn't do that that said uh, india has been able to do pretty well now now india is a large big market we are able to uh, open up to uh, lots of services especially uh, if you move from the if you move the discussion from typical vsat to an obviously the the second uh, uh, big opportunity that is there for satcom which is broadcast india has done very well on the on the broadcast sector and uh, we, uh, we we are a large user of uh, uh, these kind of uh, services and uh, hardware so 
from what started off as a handicap now indian broadcasting market uh, drives the worldwide need as such that's what i would summarize uh, so govind can you give us some numbers on what is the vsat penetration at its peak in india during the rise and down numbers are govan uh, maybe my thoughts on this uh, is that numbers are very hard to comment about the reason being is that these numbers are not very not they're not growing rapidly they're not very growing very rapidly they you don't you don't have one single user who will say i have 100000 vsats deployed or vsat terminals deployed there, there is no such one user who could do that for multiple reasons some of them being policy driven and second is the there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, overheads that come up for every for every vsat terminal that's deployed there is a certain amount of cost element that you need to pay to the regulator in terms of the uh, in terms of the annual uh, charges that come up so if if these are more streamlined we might have a better number to talk about but no, actually yeah. when, it, when it comes to numbers it's all in public domain in fact if you go to devotee websites it it mentions the number of vsats that are in operation and based upon the numbers that are provided by the vsat uh, service providers as i mentioned the license fee when the policy was originally uh, implemented the there was a fixed license fee payable by the each, each licensee subsequently uh, based upon as i mentioned in the beginning that uh, based upon the concerns and the feedback the government received they also changed the licensing uh, conditions so what they made was instead of having a fixed license fee the based upon the number of vsats they deploy and also based upon the revenue that they generate a certain percentage of that revenue was given to government as a license fee which is a healthy thing so in order to uh, make that happen government also asked the vsat service providers to give the numbers of the vsats that are deployed based on which of course the license fee can be Uh, so there are two large users as we uh, mentioned one is the bank net another is uh, uh, the stock exchange eh? because country wise eh, they deployed thousands of uh, terminals so as as we evolved since we spoke only about uh, extended c band uh, the users also demanded ku band so originally when they actually designed the policy it was only c band is what they had mentioned so subsequently ku band was also allowed to be used by the uh, service providers so what is the basic difference between extended c band and the ku band and why this demand you know see generally it is believed that the cost of uh, ground equipment for ku band will be cheaper Uh, it's more cost effective than c c c band the mainly the size of the antenna that uh, determines see in extended uh, c whatever c c band the size of the antenna will be large it becomes difficult to uh, implement that uh, in uh, crowded uh, uh, places so the size of the antenna in ku band comes down drastically which is easy for them to implement and also the as ramesh also mentioned because of the uh, extended c band being used in india the cost of equipment also was high 
when it comes to KU band, India also adopted the standard KU band to be used by VSAT uh, operators. The equipment cost is same for India and other countries. So, the cost of equipment also came down drastically. The size and the cost helped KU band to penetrate more. Who are the major VSAT players commercially in India now? Well, there are quite a few of them. Uh, before we get there, there's something that I thought I'll just recall was uh, on on the the way the Indian uh, government designed the policies around this. There's one interesting story that comes up to my mind uh, is that I know of a of a of a company which applied for paging license for all over all over India. I think there were 21 or 22 circles at that time and. Uh, this company got the license for all 22 circles. They bid for all 22 circles, hoping that they could use a VSAT network and network all the 22 circles to a single centralized hub uh, and manage their uh, hardware cost and uh, run the operations more efficiently. Only to be later on told that the policy doesn't allow for the VSAT services to work across the different circles or whatever that meant. I mean, if you got your, you were awarded the license to operate your paging services in circle A, you couldn't club that or uh, run that along with circle B, which then meant that this poor uh, paging operator who, who had 22 circles to work had to set up 22 networks. So sometimes you see, um, this is these are things that uh, kind of shook the market and uh, made people uh, think twice before investing into a technology which uh, the policy framework was not very nicely drafted out so that was something that i was saying i know what you were talking about the players there okay uh, there are at least uh, the predominantly three or four large uh, players there uh, there were a couple of uh, Go, what do you call public sector there were at least two public sector operators who, who chose to be VSAT operators two large uh, private enterprise came up there uh, I can't I can't name them out today because there has been uh, there's been a shake up in the market couple of them have folded within each other and today we have uh, today we have probably two large players driving the market and um, I'm sure they have their own story to tell you as to why they're not going that fast and what's holding them back. But uh, this industry has slowed down. I can I can tell you that uh, this industry has slowed down, despite the despite the uh, despite the the uh, the golden pot at the end of the horizon, which talks about uh, all India connect, digital India. Somewhere along, I think. Uh, SATCOM is going a little slower than the rest of the connect technologies which are going up. So VSAT is uh, primarily a slow data kind of connectivity uh, and also no audio in that sense. Correct. Right? Um, and the you know immediate evolution is from VSAT being slow data to a more uh, video format uh, along with audio uh, right commercially. Uh, so in that sense, I guess the logical transition of technology or services from VSAT to broadcasting. Um, so with that, uh, you know, what is the demand side of broadcasting that was, you know, in India early 90s and 
how did it evolve uh, because i still remember we were all watching uh, television on uh, cable and cable was also limited to a very urban centers uh, so what created the demand for uh, broadcasting correct the two things see there is always need for uh, broadcasting uh, applications because people are always eager to see the uh, uh, television uh, uh, content on the television so it all depends upon various things availability of content availability of capacity uh, and also uh, the licensing uh, uh, conditions to move forward see broadcasting of course also as i mentioned is evolved na huh? first uh, india started with doordarshan as you mentioned no? you were all used to seeing the doordarshan television channel probably via cable or terrestrial link which which we still recollect and it's good but looking at the demand in india in india the foreign broadcast channels uh, started uh, providing services over india and lot of indian companies uh, indian broadcasters also have started uh, uh, their broadcasting uh, services uh, as we are talking i think there are about 150 plus uh, uh, news uh, channels and uh, and totally about uh, 800 television channels operating in india by various uh, uh, private broadcasters so for this obviously we need capacity isro uh, provides uh, the capacity to some extent and isro facilitates the broadcasters to uh, contract with the foreign uh, satellite operators to meet their uh, requirement both c band for normal broadcasting applications and ku band for uh, the direct to home ptv television applications so all in all uh, the broadcast industry of course each industry as we mentioned we said industry they started over a period of time okay uh, they see ups and downs uh, for various reasons in the same way broadcast industry also the st- st- started very well and uh, as as they move forward because other technologies uh, they uh, come in it becomes difficult for them to compete with them so they always see ups and downs by and large of course uh, uh, broadcast industry itself is doing well but they also try to adopt the new available technologies like uh, ott and uh, things like that but still there is a demand for uh, satellite capacity for this uh, industry so ramesh uh, what is the timeline between like vsat and uh, broadcasting taking off and was it around the same time that both uh, vsat and broadcasting took off or? broadcasting is more like a post 2000 story uh, broadcasting uh, i think uh, the gulf war uh, triggered a few additional channels to come into india and uh, at that time uh, star uh, as it was uh, the acronym for star stood for satellite television asia region that is what we recall it being called as star was there and uh, that then opened up for private enterprise to come in and we had z being one of the uh, big initial uh, broadcasters to come in but then i i may have a different story to tell you on this as govind mentioned 800 television channels 115 news channels that's probably the sum total of all the other television channels in all over asia which then should have made us the asian hub for broadcasting but we are not we are not the asian hub for broadcasting a large number of 
television channels choose to broadcast out of Singapore, choose to broadcast out of uh, Hong Kong. That's very sad. That's because none of us, or not us of course, none of the governments which came into power visualized that we could have been a big broadcast hub. Uh, there is uh, a small country uh, tucked in in the Middle East that's known as Israel and it is one of the largest broadcast hub uh, in for Asian services. It connects uh, Asia to, to the Western world and there are at least uh, 30, 40, 50 channels that are uplinked out of, uh, out of Tel Aviv or in the neighborhood of Tel Aviv uh, on, on Indian satellites, on Insat satellites and probably another 50-60 on uh, a, a satellites which, have, which beam on India. I guess we missed that big opportunity uh, of being, uh, there was a talk about India having missed out the big opportunity being the, the, uh, the uh, aircraft or the airline hub for Asia. We have an airport in Calcutta which is uh, twice or thrice the size of what the need is. Uh, similarly, we could have been an truly a Asian broadcast center. We missed that thing. But who's the largest uh, user? India has about 800 television channels and maybe there are 300 other channels in all over Asia. But that said, uh, the, Asian, the broadcast market is also beginning to die out now. I think that's, that's a story that needs to be told. We no longer watch television the way we have known to have watched it. We watch non-linear television. So maybe maybe there's another market that is coming up for satellite services that's something that we can discuss as we con have the conversation uh, so govind you talked about uh, the different channels and everything so i would assume that uh, having so many channels some of these people who are you know delivering content are powerful enough and large enough to probably own a satellite or you know operate also a satellite by themselves uh, so I believe you know Z was one of these channels who wanted to have their own um, capability of their own satellite and having the end-to-end -end capability of having both the satellite and the ground bits for their own network, right? So, can you briefly talk us up, uh, talk to us about that whole evolution of that story? That's that's a, that's a good question. Yes, the SATCOM policy, eh, which was conceived in the beginning, eight nineties, actually provided the private companies to own and operate their own satellite. It looks uh, pretty good. Uh, but uh, as all we also mentioned, we know that, okay, we are discussing a satellite, which is highly regulated uh, thing, not in India, everywhere. So, obviously, you need to come up with norms for private people to comply with. Uh, Z, as you clearly mentioned, they wanted to own a satellite, not only to meet uh, their own requirement, of course, to uh, cater to others and floated a company called Agrani Satellite uh, uh, Communication Company and applied for the license and also they got the license actually. So, here we cannot find fault with the government because government actually gave a license to the private company based upon the policy which was in existence there. For various reasons, okay, uh, Agrani could not uh, uh, come out with a satellite and uh, operate uh, uh, their own uh, satellite. So, again, things uh, uh, as we move on change rapidly. Uh, on this subject, uh, Narayan, we also want to mention that we also came out uh, with a requirement uh, to apply it, uh, to the government to 
get the license to operate uh, our own satellite. So we came out with an idea of uh, launching a small satellite, uh, making use of the spectrum that is available, and uh, as a licensee, operate uh, operate the satellite and provide services to Indian uh, uh, customers. When we talk about uh, satellite operation within the country, one of the main things is to own spectrum. Uh, today, the government policy, obviously, one thing we should know here is, uh, as per the uh, regulation, no individual company can own a uh, spectrum. It's only the country, the state can own the spectrum. So there will be a body uh, in India, of course, WPC is the body equal to FCC to manage that uh, spectrum. So a private company only can apply for a spectrum after getting the license. So that becomes difficult. That means you, you have to spend a lot of time to get the license. And after getting the license, you need to uh, apply for the spectrum, which will take uh, at least a uh, uh, few years uh, to get that uh, coordinated and make it uh, operational. Maybe we have to, at this juncture, be more flexible. As I mentioned, that uh, everything, of course, we can expect any organization, government or otherwise, to come out with a policy that suits everybody. Uh, but as we move on, we need to be more flexible uh, to revise and update our uh, uh, pol policy and clauses within that uh, policy. Maybe my suggestion here would be the government probably can consider giving uh, authorization for the private company to apply for the uh, spectrum license. Of course, it has to be, as I mentioned, that. The private company cannot own both, only the uh, organization like uh, uh, WPC, hmm? they, can, they can apply. But it's everything the private company can do through that uh, uh, entity and apply for the spectrum. And when that private company gets a license to operate, at least they have the spectrum with them, uh, which can be used. So that will curtail the time required to operate their satellite because as we mentioned no the business doesn't wait for the policies so the policy has to be framed to meet business requirements especially when the technology and the requirements of the industry is changing rapidly so this is one thing i wanted to mention here to your question um, so govind mentioned about uh, the spectrum and uh, licensing and so on. So one of the other critical aspects of all of this is that you need to have a satellite up in orbit at a given orbital slot for you to provide the service in that Correct. region, right? So can you make a quick comparison of how orbital slot allocation, licensing of the spectrum and the ground equipment happens in a different geography, let's say Europe or US, and the relationship between the private operators and the government and compare that to India because I think a lot of this is um, cluttered in a way because orbital slots cannot be applied by a private company on its own. 
as I understand. Correct. Correct. Spectrum cannot be uh, applied by a private operator on its own because it's the national regulator that has to apply to the International Telecommunications Union and coordinate. Uh, so, can you make a very quick comparison of two geographies and, and explain a bit? Yeah, see, basically, uh, it, it's all about how, how, from where do you start the approach. You know, like uh, the concept of free trade. You have the, the famous definition by Alfred Marshall saying that let's allow free trade to happen and the trade will decide how business happens. Even when it comes to the, the basic opening of the market, India could have or maybe even now it's not too late, opened up a free trade, uh, not free trade outside the country, but a free trade policy within the own within the country, which would allow for anybody to start their operations. Today, as Govan mentioned, what's delaying growth of this atcom industry is not the need. It's not the lack of equipment. It's not the lack of providers. It's not the lack of customers. It's the the regulatory process which is slowing it down. Nobody knows today, once you go and make an application with the government, what are the standard timelines through which anything is delivered or how long does one have to wait for the for your application to be turned around, maybe turned around not with a an, with an go-ahead signal but turned around with a query, which means that you go through the process again. That is what is, uh, is holding up the progress of this industry. If you look at the, the if you compare this with the IT sector, the IT sector is not blocked down or not clogged up as much as the SATCOM uh, sector because there's not much of a regulatory uh, scenario here. So we are we have ISRO, which is uh, which is doing some excellent job, which is producing uh, ISRO also not directly but indirectly has a as a space college and so there are a lot of space engineers coming out from there but is there some way that we can have a, a framework a framework or what would you call a, a walled garden wherein as long as you are within this broad framework you can do and start working on and start addressing your customers even within the country so uh, I think if you want the SATCOM industry to grow. There are lots of areas where business can happen. There are smart cities which are coming up. There is backhaul. The, you, the need to connect to the truly last mile. That's not happening because uh, at one point, however wired you are on fiber, you have to hop into that, that true last mile on a wireless mode. This then brings up the challenge of spectrum. This then brings up the challenge of We've had some uh, not so very pleasant uh, instances of uh, spectrum being uh, talked about in, uh, in, in not in the good terms. So if, if we can go start thinking beyond that bad dream and then open up, I'm sure uh, this industry is set for a real big rise. That's what I would say. Yeah, that's probably what, 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 what you were trying to find out is how it happens in other countries. So generally as we understood that uh, the applications to ITU has to be made by the uh, agencies in a respective uh, country. So in many, many countries what happens 
the private companies who want to, as I mentioned, the, want to operate their own uh, satellite, will have an understanding and agreement with the, the state, uh, the country's uh, agency, and uh, the private companies they will make all the applications, uh, and the agency will forward that. So, though the agency obviously the country wants that uh, filing wants that uh, spectrum when awarded but the company and eh, because of that understanding actually indirectly wants that spectrum so even in our neighboring countries in southeast in uh, east asian uh, countries there are many private operators who want the spectrum so we it, it, it may look contradictory. We On one side, we say that no private companies can own the spectrum, it's only the agency. And on the country, we say that private companies, they own the... What, what we say that when, they, when we say that private companies own the spectrum means they own through an agreement with the agencies, but agency has uh, the actual ownership and rights on the spectrum as far as the ITU is concerned, because the agency uh, is the one who actually does the coordination between various uh, countries. The private companies, as we call them as operators, they also own the uh, spectrum on behalf of the uh, agency and operator-operator coordination they can do. This is exactly what I was trying to tell that uh, in India also, maybe we could consider uh, the private companies, they come forward, because not many people will come forward, only those people who are really interested in uh, operating, owning and operating a satellite will come forward. They can probably have an agreement with uh, the agency in India that is uh, Oilers and Planning Commission and uh, apply for the spectrum and make a filing and uh, it, as I said, no, it takes few years to get that uh, Coordinated when that happens, and if they have the license, they can operate uh, their own satellite. Again, not the orbital allocation, especially finding the slots may be very tricky. Very tricky, yes. Right? So uh, there's always a reason, you know, because uh, if India does not have enough slots, always you know, government will have the priority to use its own, for its own services for military or other applications. The priority for for the country's security or country's needs or government needs that will take precedence over maybe private operators in certain sense. So, how accessible are these orbital slots to India for the Indian government against our neighbors? Because uh, you know, essentially, ITU gives orbital slots to all countries kind of equally, and they can apply to those slots. And uh, and does India? Firstly, if we don't have orbital slots, there's no you know uh, supply of uh, you know, positions that India can occupy to provide services. So, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about how this uh, orbital slot allocations or a number of slots India has against other neighbors. See, it all depends upon each country making a filing. So, you only get access uh, to the orbital slots based upon the filing you make. And based upon the filing you make, you get the priority. Uh, over that uh, orbital slot and the spectrum. So each country, they, they make uh, their own uh, decisions to make uh, filing for number of orbital slots based upon their uh, uh, business and other uh, uh, requirements. India also have made filing, especially of late, uh, 
more uh, number of filings to ITU for various uh, orbital slots. As you mentioned, uh, yes, since it is especially the spectrum in various orbital slots uh, over uh, uh, Asia is highly crowded with so many operators uh, being there. So, again, come, come back to that. So, if there is a serious uh, satellite, private satellite operator wanting to uh, get the license operator satellite, maybe they can uh, have a dialogue with both the Department of Space and uh, the agency to determine which probably orbital slot uh, can be operated uh, over India and uh, which is earmarked for various uh, strategic uh, applications leaving that apart what can be so that helps if we if there is a healthy dialogue uh, then it helps the private company to, to determine which uh, orbital slot and the spectrum they need to go for and make the applications to ITU so that uh, they can uh, work on getting the necessary coordination done and operate their satellite. So, that kind of dialogue should happen. Now, we only know that there are spectrum required for various strategic applications, obviously. As I mentioned that uh, the satellite uh, is a highly regulated thing, means you need to take the country's interest into account which is uh, paramount and within that, uh, see uh, what is the uh, feasible for the satellite operators to be operated over India because if the Indian company uh, if it is licensed obviously you don't need a landing rights because it's an Indian company so their spectrum has to be used over India to make that happen obviously we need to determine which spectrum can be made available uh, keeping various uh, factors into account and uh, operate that uh, uh, orbital slot and spectrum for the satellite operation yeah so, uh, Ramesh, we talked about VSAT and how DOT plays the licensing uh, role for all of this. I was always uh, curious, you know, to know why the whole satellite uh, different services did not come under one uh, body to coordinate, to license, to, to, to do things. Because from what I understand today, uh, Antrix is playing the role of uh, bridging the demand and supply gap of uh, you know capacity in india but if you look at vsat for example the licensing happens through dot um, you know what is the reason why that the landscape in india changed in this way no it's actually licensing always depends upon the type of services you are going to provide so dot is obviously responsible for all telecommunication uh, type of services. So, we, we sat and similar kind of things come under the telecom or communication applications. So, we uh, DOT is the department which uh, administers the uh, license. Uh, broadcasting uh, uh, come under uh, information broadcasting ministry. So, MIB they uh, govern the license and administer the license to, to the broadcaster. So, any broadcasting related uh, services that ministry MIB is responsible for any uh, communication type of uh, services, DOT is responsible. That is uh, fair enough. For, for both, the common factor is the satellite. Huh? Since the satellite is the highly uh, regulated thing, when I say regulated, it involves uh, to see whether it's uh, the capacity or the satellite is properly coordinated with uh, other uh, satellites or not. Who determines that? The Department of Space uh, de determines that. So, that's the reason, though it looks as though 
multiple agencies are involved eh, to provide uh, one uh, license or one operations. Actually, if you understand this, not all these agencies are required to be there. Only thing is the proper coordination and uh, the transparency helps the uh, service providers or private companies to understand better and uh, uh, move forward. Otherwise, it's fine. The Department of Space or ISRO has to be there whenever we talk about the satellite. And DOT and MIB, they only are the uh, departments which provide and administers and monitor the licenses. That, that's fine. And and since you mentioned the Antrix, Antrix here is the commercial organization of Department of Space. So their role is different from ISRO. So the Antrix actually provides the capacity or the services that are needed uh, by various uh, agencies for providing their services like broadcasters approach them for any capacity we said uh, service approach them for uh, uh, capacity through of course the ministry which governs the license the broadcasters go through mib for the requirements uh, we said and other service providers go through dvt uh, for getting the actually uh, the process is much better and smoother now compared to what probably was a couple of years back for five years back. Now the process is much smoother. That fewer agencies that you have to personally go and interact with to get your licenses. A good, good amount of streamlining is happening. Uh, excellent amount of streamlining. I, I see that most of the application is now done online, which means that uh, you don't have to physically go and submit your paper. Things are moving forward. But then uh, again, uh, the point that we need to note is this is not an exciting sector. The sector is not very, is not very exciting for the government to go ahead and make some real rapid changes. That will only happen when there's a huge demand. I mean, uh, you know, the, the sector that everybody's talking about is mobile, 4G, 3G, 5G. Lots of things happening there and lots of visibility happening on that sector. Unfortunately, we are the players in the background. So we, 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 are, we are hardly visible. I mean, uh, the common joke that used to be happening um, uh, with, within the industry is that you point to an object that you cannot see at 36,000 kilometers to your customer and then send in the services. So that being the story, uh, this is a, this is a, maybe I'm holding myself back from saying the word is kind of a stepmotherly attitude, which is also true because not much is happening in the sector that is that will generate lot amount of excitement as would the the uh, the mobile market. But all that said, the industry is getting lot streamlined, much better than what it was a few years back. Now. Um, much of your application is deemed cleared if it doesn't get uh, you don't hear from your uh, from the provider or the regulator in certain amount of weeks mm, and uh, what else is driving the market um, the uh, backhaul connectivity between for mobile or uh, telcos is another big market that is driving that and uh, Smart city, smart city is also seeing a lot of uh, interest that is being generated for satellite as a connect media, and uh, yeah, so that's where we are today as we talk. 
I think you know some of the comparisons between India and US may not be very easy in this sector because US is a very uh, commercial first uh, attitude and approach. Um, just for academic reasons, let's say you know we compare India with China because it's more India's uh, state-driven attitude to regulating certain sectors is very similar in that sense to China, especially also that the Chinese state is mostly the driver in the space uh, you know realm as well. Uh, does the whole uh, process of uh, flying satellites and providing capacity in India and China are similar? Where uh, private? Because I don't know if there are private sector satellite operators in China who provide capacity to Chinese broadcast channels. No, uh, answer is no. But um, I agree that as we discussed that the satellite itself is a highly regulated market. It's not. For India, for any, anywhere. So when we say like that, okay, each country uh, uh, can only the one one on the satellite, and also each country is responsible for the operation and otherwise of that uh, satellite because they they want that asset uh, legally. So and each country has to take their country's interest. There is nothing wrong. U.S. obviously uh, uh, takes their country into uh, account and their interest into account. Similarly, China takes their interest into account. India has to take their interest into account. And those interests vary from country to country. Uh, U.S., for example, we say that the mostly wired country. This is the largest wired uh, network uh, country. At the same time, US also has got most uh, number of VSAT uh, uh, terminals operating there. What it means is we need not to worry whether there is a uh, fiber uh, coming in or not. Uh, satellite finds its own uh, market because largely I consider these two are two different medium for providing uh, services. Satellite is a different medium and they find their own uh, Applications based upon their technological strength. In the same way, in India, in India also, in, in spite of so many uh, technologies uh, getting evolved, I'm sure that both uh, will uh, find their own uh, applications and grow both satellite industry and this. So, in in India also has to take their uh, interest into account. That's the reason we have uh, different regulatory bodies in the country to take the country's interest into account. Uh, what What is required, and again, we are going back uh, to that. We have to have a stronger policy, at the same time, flexible uh, approach. Uh, so with, within, within the policy framework, taking the country's interest into account, I think we need to be more flexible uh, to see how things can happen more quickly in a transparent manner. So. I mean, just adding to what Govan said, you know, if you, if you want to do our, draw a comparison between India and China, both of them have a law, large captive internal customer base. And China, it's been only over the last few years I mean, uh, that China has actually come into the regional uh, space market. Uh, they their satellites now 
look very different from the satellites that were i'm talking about communication or geo satellites these newer satellites look very very different from the satellites that were uh, designed i'm talking not not in terms of technology but in terms of the contour maps or the coverage that they were the uh, earlier chinese satellites were predominantly china only beams but look at the new beams that come out from the look at the bigger beams that come out from china they have a large hemi beam covering asia they have a beam covering over africa they now talk about maritime beams that means that china is behaving truly as a as a leader china is looking at a global market that's what india should be doing it it's not about orbital slots whatever orbital slots you have india has some of the finest orbital slots uh, if you look at 74 or you look at uh, around the 90s excellent orbital slots to have we should start playing the leadership role we should have beams which are which are covering africa we should have beams that are covering uh, uh, afghanistan these are the these are the new markets that are opening up that's what we should probably be looking at and who do we think as competitors in india a small nation called singapore i mean they they provide services into india you have uh, malaysia providing services into india you have thailand providing services into india on the contrary had the indian policy been well worked out years back we would have had the our beams covering that market not too late even now you 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 have the african market just opening up you have some of the central asian markets opening up what india should be looking at is to monitor or monetize these or, orbital slots by giving it to the indian industry to open up it can manage the regulation absolutely fine make sure the ownership of these companies are truly indian but then give the operator the freedom to operate address newer markets tap on untapped markets that's that's what i think i would want to state when you compare between china and india china absolutely inward looking is no longer doing that it it's i mean it's it is trying to play as a regional today regional satellite operator that's what the vision i seen i think they are having so govin uh, what is really happening with the uh, broadcast sector in terms of the private players is there a lot of consolidation going on and you know is there uh, you know what what exactly is happening in 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 any in industry consolidation will happen uh, uh, as we move forward so broadcast industry is no different uh, to that especially when uh, government uh, issued the license for direct to home uh, uh, services sector dth so seven players uh, they took the license many international companies oh, seven is too much uh, so they all did well, pretty well in the uh, first few years then consolidation happened we know that uh, uh, what's going on so the consolidation do happen uh, uh, in the broadcasting industry which is uh, uh, good good sign so that doesn't mean that uh, the industry is doing well or not doing well for various business considerations uh, uh, things uh, do happen in this uh, fashion so 
uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing consolidation is happening and broadcast industry is also uh, looking at uh, newer technologies to be adopted in their uh, services sector so that okay they can uh, cater to the needs of the uh, people. Yeah. Um, so Ramesh, uh, from all the reports that I've read in the media, there's always uh, you know a CAG report, some other report that always talks about you know we have 75% of the transponders that we depend on foreign uh, companies and you know things like that. Uh, satellites are movable assets, and you can start providing services from anywhere to anywhere depending on you know where the demand comes from, right? So uh, why haven't uh, you know? Indian private sector uh, broadcasters, for example, you know, bought or leased assets from others, uh, or you know, own satellites that others built to just you know provide services in India uh, directly. No, I mean this actually. Uh in a way, the question contradicts itself in the sense that uh, you say that seventy-five percent of the the broadcast or the satellite providers come from outside of India and so that shows the fact that 75% of the capacity uh, used by the Indian broadcasters is non-insat uh, or non-ISRO or whatever the, the terminology that is as such. That's that's because the market is growing rapidly. There's a lot of demand for this market and then India by itself is not able to address that. On your point about uh, how how easy is it for uh, satellite users to switch from one satellite to another, it's actually a little bit difficult. If you are a DTH operator, uh, how do you tune uh, 5, 10 million uh, uh, antennas to start looking from... Uh, start looking eastward to start looking westward very very difficult they, it's been done uh, one or two sat dth operators in india have done through this exercise but it's a very painful exercise so once you stay on one particular satellite there's a good intent for both the user and the provider that they stay connected for a very long time as such so that that is what has despite the initiatives that the Indian government has taken, there is still the legacy advantage or what you call the neighborhood advantage that some of the satellites have. Now, uh, any new broadcaster, he would want to be on the same satellite as the top top television broadcasters are setting us. So there is a bit of a handicap is that you don't really move from one satellite to another just like that. But there are large players who take a sizable amount of capacity and uh, your question is why are they not owning these satellites is because uh, the 20-30 minutes of conversation that we've been having so far is that the leg the regulatory is, uh, is is a major roadblock the second is the intent by the government is not very clear the government is not extremely enthusiastic uh, for this sector if these two change, I'm sure we would see a multiple satellites uh, having an Indian flag, uh, but having different ownership within the Indi within India or in, in years to come. See, you, uh, on, on the same thing you mentioned uh, about 75% of the total capacity used over India are uh, serviced by foreign satellite operators. So, means those foreign satellite operators whom uh, you mentioned obviously are allowed. Uh, to be used over India, that means it's illegal. 
So, when we, when we are talking about commercial satellite uh, operations, the license are, uh, licenses are given by these uh, ministries to private companies for what? For their commercial operations. So, that means those private companies, they can uh, take their business interest uh, into account for running their commercial operations. So, they will take uh, the capacity or the equipment or uh, whatever that meets their uh, requirement, both commercial and technological. So, if there are two things, if uh, 75% or large uh, amount of capacity are serviced by uh, foreign satellite operators, means either domestically we may not be able to meet the requirements of the industry, both in terms of availability of the capacity and probably the commercial price. But the, these two things drive. So, once you are given a commercial license to operate, once you are allowed to use any satellite capacity that are allowed to be used over India, I think the commercial licensees should get the freedom to use what they want. Yeah, so but the bottleneck that there is of course the timeline because I think uh, the major from all the reports and all the industry you know dialogue that is happening, the key question there is uh, the limited period of leasing of the transponders that uh, drive up the prices for the end users and change the market because especially given that the policy in India is that uh, the priority only goes to ISRO's capacity and switching of the commercial players to ISRO's capacity that drives up the prices of the end markets because you know people are not able to negotiate better prices for leases given that only two or three year agreements are made. Okay, there is nothing wrong a country protecting their uh, interest uh, because the government's uh, money goes into the uh, deployment of the assets that is a uh, satellite and if the government has got capacity available with them to meet the requirements of the industry I, I don't see any uh, reason as to why government should not uh, ask the industry to use the capacity that is available again in this since I mentioned that they're all commercial uh, uh, operators their commercial interest has to be taken into consideration price is always uh, is a relative thing uh, so you, you can price it based upon uh, your cost plus uh, something or you price it based upon uh, the market uh, requirements so price is a different thing uh, even even the foreign satellite operators also they price for the uh, same C band or K band capacity on different satellites uh, differently. Uh, so that that means okay, it, it depends upon the requirements. Uh, uh, so they price it uh, di uh, differently. Uh, the whenever we talk about the uh, commercial, uh, obviously the licensees. Uh, are definitely taking this commercial interest into account and use such capacity which meets their technical requirements and also the commercial requirement. As well as what you you mentioned that okay, government allows only short-term capacity that is three years things like that. That there only what I mentioned was people need to be little more flexible. If government has got uh, uh, a roadmap to show the private uh, 
commercial operators, uh, service providers, that they can provide the capacity within whatever the foreseeable time frame for the next 10 or 15 years, then commercial operators uh, probably will agree to that. Huh? So, if not, then uh, commercial service providers, they ask the government to give them the freedom to sign 10-year contract instead of uh, three-year contract to drive their uh, prices uh, down. So, they are only, what I mentioned is uh, uh, the government need to be more flexible looking at their uh, uh, deployment uh, over a long period of time. Sometimes it's actually... Uh Sometimes the industry is happy with a three-year contract because you don't know how the industry is changing. If you if you if you look at a typical life of a satellite, uh, or especially the satellites that we are having in our discussion, is a, is a fifteen-year lifetime, which means that uh, if you look at, we are assuming that the fifteenth year is just about getting over. Now at twenty twenty, we are talking about a satellite that got launched in two thousand five and now serving all through the last 15 years. Between 2005 and now, so much has changed. The definition of broadband has changed. The type of broadcast requirement has changed. The type of modulation that we are using has changed. The type of services that we are providing has changed. So many a time, uh, if, if you ask me as a broadcaster or if you ask me as the, as the owner of my company, do you want a long-term contract? Sometimes it may be in my own better interest not to have a long-term contract because I don't know how the business dynamics change. DTH we, uh, DTH, we had seven DTH operators sitting in India and right now we're probably boiling down to two or three DTH operators and uh, we may further consolidation may happen. We were talking about the time that uh, uh, Govind and I got seriously into the satellite business the kind of uh, bandwidth that was allowed by an internet operator or an ISP was you could take uh, 4 meg by 1 meg. That was all. If the ISP wanted to take more than 4 meg, the government wouldn't have, uh, uh, would, would not allow it. And now 4 meg by 1 meg is not even enough for your mobile. So things have changed. So it's, it's, it's very difficult to predict uh, or to say, does the, does the industry want a end of life contract? Or does the industry want a three-year contract, which makes it uh, makes it beneficially both for the for the broadcaster also? The broadcaster keeps the provider at tender hooks because uh, he can always let the pro let the broadcast or the let the satellite operator know that I could even move to another one. So it's all about business dynamics and uh, sometimes even a policy which is a little uh, draconic in nature might help an enterprise. Uh -huh. no, no, what is telling? Correct, you are right. The freedom of choice is what service providers is uh, uh, asking. Uh, whether it is three year or five year or ten year, it is for them to decide uh, to write down the price. Of course, they can always have an exit clause uh, uh, to come out of the contract. Uh, so the freedom uh, of choice should not be dictated by the government. Freedom of choice should be exercised by the. Uh, private service enterprise uh, enterprises. So one of the interesting bits here is uh, I always wondered why you know you saw Reliance uh, investing more in telecommunications rather than you know satellite is one field that a large conglomerate business in India could have invested very easily. You know uh, Reliance uh, having its own satellite or having enough number of satellites to provide capacity to the entire industry. The second option is uh, you could have had an FDI, a foreign direct investment by a company that is abroad that could have. Uh, had its own satellite built in India and uh, launched 
uh, out of this. So, why haven't we seen uh, both of these, uh, you know, ideas mature? Satellite actually not a money spinner. So, most of the satellite operators are not doing profit. So, it may look strange, but that's a fact. And the satellites also have got limited time frame to work. That means you have to generate revenue from the time you start launch and operating this satellite until the end of life. Then only you can make decent revenue, which is not the case because there are so many factors that come into effect while providing the satellite services. So as we again mentioned in the beginning that satellite, it's not confined to India for anywhere. It's a highly regulated segment to be operated. So. Large private uh, houses, whom you mentioned, they have got money to uh, operate their own satellite, eh? but they don't have that passion eh? because their interest is to drive their commercial services. Eh? Satellite is one medium, eh? so they, as long as somebody can meet that uh, requirement to provide that medium to provide the services, they are happy. They don't want to invest in that uh, medium to meet their end uh, requirement. So that's the reason they're not interested in uh, uh, spending their money to launch their own uh, satellite and uh, provide the services. Satellite so they're happy to uh, outsource that capacity whoever provides, whether it is through or foreign satellite operator. Yeah. Historically, satellites have been like carrier airlines. They've always been state-owned. Uh, every 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 nation wants to have its own airline long back uh, so you had Nepal Airlines or Indian Air India and all those things satellites have always been uh, state-owned uh, uh, historically so that that is probably one reason that this is a sector that uh, the uh, the private enterprise has not played any serious role and of course it's a different story in the in, in back in the US but otherwise if you look at Europe or Elsewhere, it has always been a state-owned phenomenon. And uh, again, the the fact that Govan said is that you have a 15-year life cycle to make the best out of what you have done compared to you dig once and then lay a fiber and then you have... Uh, you actually don't lay a fiber, you lay a, lay a fiber conduit in which you can keep adding fiber as you want. And so that's a, that's a, a larger investment that is there. And... Uh, why would why would a large uh, business conglomerate go into a highly regulated market? So, uh, it it would I think it will only work if uh, the government and the business enterprise work together. Uh, and even if you're talking about the China success story, it's the China success story from a Chinese government success story rather than uh, the, whether whether Alibaba or somebody else has invested on it. Uh, Starlink. We talk a lot about Starlink today. That's uh, that's probably an exception to the story. But we also don't know because probably uh, uh, Elon Musk has the has the uh, has the muzzle power to be to drive his thought through the uh, Fed as well. You have to have a passion actually to, if you want to run a satellite industry. If you want to, uh, first of all, you have to have a passion. Then obviously the money. Uh, then you need to be in that uh, uh, segment to, to operate the satellite. Uh, the uh, 
commercial service providers whom you mentioned who make with the satellite their main interest is to provide the end services eh? not yeah. the operate the uh, satellite to which uh, help them to provide the services yeah the other point i probably missed out the other point is you can't make money on satellite by just addressing india market why well, i don't know what business plans or what planning or what business modeling goes on when you look at the costing of an insat satellite but i there been a lot of uh, talks about that but then by addressing an india india market alone you cannot make your make your money make make the uh, 120 130 million dollar that goes into an investment or even more if it's a, a f- uh, 4 ton 5 ton satellite uh, you can't do that you must have a you must have a, a bigger a wider Uh, uh, footprint. You must address larger markets. You must have flexibility in your approach. You must be able to switch your beams to play along with the market forces which uh, drive business. At twenty twenty, business can be so very different from at twenty thirty. So uh, very very difficult to anticipate the satellite business. So we already talked about VSAT and uh, broadcasting. The next logical industry, I guess, I guess that involved in satellite is internet, right? Uh, broadband. Uh, and so, how prepared are we for satellite broadband in India? And uh, you know, what is currently going on with satellite broadband? See, when we talk about satellite broadband, obviously, yeah, uh, high throughput uh, satellite. Uh, Uh, is the one what we are uh, discussing. So is ISRO also has been working on high throughput uh, satellite. They have launched uh, uh, HDS uh, satellite. They are also in discussions to provide uh, two more uh, satellites. I don't know where it is now uh, today. Uh, and there are private industries as I mentioned about uh, Starlink working on the constellation of Leo satellites to provide. Uh, Uh, internet broadband. Uh, there's an uh, Indian company also uh, startup Astrom Technologies working on uh, uh, constellation of Leo satellites uh, uh, by designing a payload which give 100 uh, Gbps per satellite uh, uh, internet bandwidth from space. And in that uh, 200 constellations, about 20 terabyte uh, uh, internet uh, data is made available. So there are so many, so many such things uh, are uh, going on. Again, the operation of the satellite for uh, providing this uh, internet broadband data is one thing. Business consideration is another thing. Regulatory environment is another thing. Business consideration, of course, uh, it's a private enterprises. They take the uh, risk and uh, they have their own business model to operate. The and the technology guys, they develop the uh, technology to provide uh, such uh, uh, sa- sa- satellite to meet that requirement. And regulatory environment is another thing. What I feel is the country has to. Uh, Come out with a policy to suit the incumbent uh, satellite operator if they can meet the requirement, or allow the private operator to uh, give the regulatory uh, concessions for them to operate their satellite out of the country. So these are the things, but uh, as for the business is concerned, we don't know how it uh, really. Uh, takes uh, shape as I mentioned. It's for the private enterprises to uh, decide. Time, time is the essence. The more we delay, the more uh, uh, the other applications will uh, 
or other technologies will uh, enter into the fray. But there are a lot of developments that are going on in this uh, high throughput uh, satellite uh, area. Large uh, uh, organizations are working on that. And uh, yeah, it takes uh, time. Yeah, actually. Um, and Government uh, of India also has still have not come out uh, policy on the use of KA band uh, uh, for operating this uh, uh, HTA satellite. Yeah, I mean, uh, taking off from what Govind was saying, I mean, uh, you know, we are actively working with Astro. Uh, who is actually coming out with a constellation of uh, satellites to deliver high-speed broadband, large bandwidth uh, across the thing? But sometimes, you know, it's 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 the it's the 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 curse of being ahead of to, ahead of the curve. Sometimes it's not always good to be ahead of the curve. Something you curse to be ahead of the curve is that uh, what what uh, what Astrom is doing is some brilliant work. But then uh, uh, the bands that uh, Astrom plans to operate, the VNW band, uh, still, still the government isn't even thinking on those lines. But then uh, the government must start looking at it differently. This is a new band, it's a new enterprise, it's a new market. And uh, all along we've been talking about what can the government do, how can Indian enterprise uh, walk out of the, uh, um, cut the cord with the, with the mother uh, ISRO or Department of Space, whatever you want to call it. It can only work if uh, we start looking at hand-holding or nurturing capacity, uh, nurturing technologies which are going to be the, the money crunchers or the, or the real technology years to come. What what uh, Astrom is doing on the VNW band is some very interesting thing. Government should start thinking up and opening up. Maybe India should be the first country which should open up some very exciting bands, and everybody starts looking at it. But then, uh, I guess the ask is always much bigger than what can be delivered. Yeah. What is the relationship between, uh, let's say? Uh, internet pro service provided by or capacity provided by so because you talked about dot licensing again you know we talked about mib you know giving broadcasting license so how plugged are internet service providers into you know capacity of internet provided by isro today uh, or you know how does that work capacity provided by isro no the internet uh, yeah see uh, the point is uh, right now uh, any form of internet is largely fiber correct okay. point number one point number two is uh, can you use vsat for internet yes you can use vsat for internet uh, but then uh, there are a lot of limitations on how do you use vsat for internet uh, not much of uh, not much of uh, uh, existing satellite capacity is used for internet per se compared to what is being used for a close user group or a visa kind of services. In India, we haven't really seen the surge of uh, uh, use of satellite for uh, broadband or internet applications. That's again because one is the cost of the terminal is becoming very expensive. You need to put up uh, a pointed uh, 1 meter, 2 meter, 1.2 meter antenna and then very very complex regulatory when it comes to uplinking you can have a receive ro antenna on your rooftop you can watch all the television channels by your own on your in your home but then um, there's no way that you can put up a vsat terminal on your thing unless and until you get um, multiple licenses multiple approvals 
and uh, hopefully not multiple times a year. So that is one reason why uh, broadband per se is not becoming very popular for using satellite as a solution. At some point there was a consideration that let's deliver broadband to the to the curb and then allow a wired solution down to the home but that didn't really pick up and I don't think in in today's environment uh, we would have satellite playing a very very key role in providing broadband because there's uh, I always believe that there's plenty of fiber around there's plenty of fiber around. I've never heard any sat any operator tell me that my fiber is full I don't think that's ever going to happen but uh, that what would probably be there is that some some remote uh, their government uh, what do you call uh, that uh, user fund what is that this this the the some of the mandated uh, requirements by by the government that you connect to the rural india as that solution maybe satellite may be used so uh, we talked about uh, you know internet and uh, Telecommunications and use of backhaul services is again a big market for India. How is the landscape of you know all of this emerging? Is this again a play where telecom operators are using foreign satellite capacity or? No, by and large, for backhaul services requirement, the domestic satellite requirement meets their need. So, INSAT has got uh, capacity to meet uh, such requirement, both KU and uh, uh, C-band. So, I think the, 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 there is no concern in that uh, area because satellite again for delivery of internet services by various uh, uh, ISPs. So, they need uh, backhaul uh, services that I think uh, by a lot of these people they meet, uh, INSAT meets. So, there is no concern in that aspect. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's correct. Yeah, so because you know, at the end of the day, I think uh, what I am not seeing is a holistic uh, understanding of connectivity at large. Because connectivity can be provided in many means. You know, we, we talked about uh, connectivity by fiber, connectivity by uh, satellite, connectivity by you know so many other uh, means, mobiles and so on. So uh, I wonder if some countries have uh, extremely, you know. Connectivity as a core center of policy making, and then people come out on the top, and the government says, you know, there are many arms working on many different ways of connectivity, and so there's a very strategic outlook to how connectivity is provided across the country, taking into account that the country needs to be connected, but how it it does in different ways and different paths are different because that can drive a lot of strategic decision making because often I think. If you see connectivity uh, as not the core, but you know you can you see only a satellite as one bit, you know fiber as one bit, uh, you know somebody else as some other bit, then you know you become very myopic in your decision making. Yeah, that's true. That, that, that's a very good thinking. Of course, things will happen based upon how you think. So no, 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 no. That's very complicated. Huh? So to have. One one body to look at only the connectivity needs eh? and uh, people who really need such connectivity for their uh, uh, provisioning of their services and excellent thinking. But we need to and also understand the complications eh, involved eh, in such things. I, but that's a good, good 
good point if somebody comes out with their requirement uh, then the other others uh, can at least uh, brainstorm and see why, why and how it can be done or it cannot be done but it's a it's a complicated you can yeah, have uh, one body to look at only the uh, connectivity and uh, see that uh, all this uh, bodies like satellite uh, providers fiber providers and uh, with, uh, other providers also fall into the right but what is good point you have raised is if there is a body who can say that country's connectivity requirements is so much it's met by fiber so much eh, so much cannot be met by fiber at least eh, satellite uh, provider whether it is a domestic satellite operator or uh, foreign satellite operators allowed by the uh, government uh, should work on providing uh, such requirements so that uh, there is total connectivity requirement met by the combination of fiber and uh, satellite so that way we need to be in fact ramesh was mentioning about that the uso obligations now university service obligations that means uh, country require uh, to provide connectivity in the rural areas uh. so that means you have to work on providing uh, connectivity to the unconnected areas can can you meet that by fiber no 100% uh. that means the balance at least should be met by the satellite operator so so the body which you were sort of uh, mentioning should uh, really work in a holistic manner to see what is the country's need for meeting the connectivity within the urban areas within the country within the rural area and connecting urban and rural all those all those things they need to consider and what is needed eh, by the country i think a policy has to be evolved in that connection but that's a good point to you you know uh, going the saying uh, the government requirement that you should do uh, universal service obligation universal service obligation is obligation on the on the service provider to connect the the rural of the rural uh, villages into it but is that economical is that meaningful it's not so if uh, it is being done only because the regulation demands it's being done because the government armed twist the provider saying that must also connect the smaller towns so the, the the farthest of the villages so then it's not a commercially viable solution and uh, that's where satellite is in a way stuck around it's servicing an area where you know there is no revenue potential from from the uso and it it can only act as a backup to the existing services but all said and done they are complementing technologies not one technology can replace the other we have seen in the western world and we see today also that both coexist there are market for each one of them and uh, uh, satellite has always been innovating itself the um, right from being a pure broadcast to broadband to iot all the time uh, the satellite industry has always kept innovating itself to address the market so we talked about elon musk and starlink and leo constellations and you know there's also several other startups like oneweb and everybody you know trying to occupy the space of uh, low earth orbiting uh, non geostationary satellite uh, uh, yeah space uh, services uh, 
do you think uh, these companies uh, kind of um, you know emerged like phoenix is you know trying to uh, provide new services based on new architecture new um, you know technologies uh, and have uh, left legacy both like industry legacy as well as legacy countries uh, in a fix because uh, essentially uh, you know now because of these people they are going to start providing these global uh, services and you know it might uh, risk all these uh, investments that people have been made uh, making in uh, in the geostationary orbit so what do you think about uh, you know because the the question is very interesting because i always think that okay it's very easy to say that uh, isro might not have seen this coming right it might not have seen uh, an operator providing uh, leo based uh, yeah. capacity correct correct see but very interesting but then let's let's uh, try going back a few years in history and start looking at the moment iridium and global star came up we thought they're going to shake up the world we, we they're going to have uh, mobile phones or satellite phones come and uh, i mean you have virtual connectivity all over the, right in the himalayas to the middle of this uh, thar desert you would have connectivity but is that required or is that the way the world evolved uh, the market that was perceived by the by those companies which started iridium and uh, global star was a market that just swung itself totally the other direction and you had mobile uh, mobile connectivity everywhere iridium had to redefine itself almost iridium had to burn their own satellites but then only to come back in a new avatar as a data provider not as a voice provider so the answer to your question is you don't know what what technologies would evolve uh, whether whether one web would do well or not one web is now quite a few years into into business we don't know how they are doing starlink uh, seems to challenge the world but then there is this famous saying right i mean object in the mirrors are uh, uh closer than they appear in the screen or, or than they appear so uh, not everybody is uh, i believe is going to be successful there are half a dozen leo constellation broadband services but uh, you'll boil down to one or two eventually see the you you think is whether the new technologies are newer newer authors huh? are they putting the legacy eh? uh business in a fix eh? uh, it may appear to be like that but all are in business eh? so if that's the case then that's a business risk they are taking but uh, as we mentioned no everybody are keep innovating themselves uh, so they have co- uh, coming out uh, with new uh, technologies to bridge the gap to meet the requirement and in the process uh, the legacy systems probably may be left behind and the entities who are still in the legacy business may be in a fix that's the reason everybody needs to stand up to the challenges and uh, keep transforming themselves uh, to the new uh, technologies that are emerging as ramesh mentioned we don't know how the new technologies uh, will emerge and be successful but the good example of uh, iridium for example uh, so 
even in government of india also has got license called gmpcs global mobile personal communication system so that's how it came but uh, as they evolve they realized and moved from voice communications to uh, data in fact the iridium uh, they're doing pretty well because they have moved uh, their business from what it was envisaged in the beginning uh, to what it is uh, today that's how the companies have to evolve themselves and uh, be innovative in everything coming back to this i think our country also should be more innovative <laughs> keeping our legacy policy intact taking the country's interest uh, as the paramount uh, uh, interest keep innovating to meet the uh business entities business enterprises uh, uh, requirement so right now i see a lot of countries uh, you know clearing services of these companies to be allowed in those countries i think even recently i saw last week new zealand uh, you know yes. declaring uh, rights for uh, starling to to operate on top of that uh, geography um it is not easy for uh, a country like india to make such a decision Uh, it has not been easy legacy in legacy wise as well because i think even iridium services are heavily restricted to users and not private people cannot use uh, almost iridium satellite phones or you know other kind of services mostly through the government and mostly restricted to government based services bodies as well so uh, what do you think or how do you predict the future of uh, some of these companies because most of these companies unless and until a you know company like astro succeeds and provide services you know that may be more easier because they are an indian entity but if some of these entities want to provide connectivity over india is that uh, you know the system ready for it no actually um any large country any country which can actually move the needle on the on the market share or on the business would never open up very quickly smaller countries like new zealand i mean they they might be driven by driven by maybe by the by the company itself to open up but a country like india i don't think uh, they 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 need to open up that very quickly they should be able to open up India that way always had a policy saying that let's help let's have the first the government enterprise uh, start into the business and then move forward we always had the first dtt service being coming out from the government we have the first mobile services come out from the government so uh, a, a large market like india would rather want to see two solution providers two similar technologies come in rather than just open up for one and as you rightly said uh, it depends on what the how much of awareness that the government has about technologies that have grown uh, within the country how much of uh, how much of uh, noise are the indian uh, entrepreneurs making especially on similar areas so that the government can make it a level playing field we always start I mean, as an indian enterprise you always start with a handicap is that you you don't have a uh the ease or the uh easy access to the world market as somebody else would have from a from us or from a western world so uh, your question to it new zealand is opened up uh, papua new guinea opened up uh, when would india open up my i would rather say india would open up probably in the in the second uh on the on the product life cycle it would uh, rather 
wait and have half a dozen operators come compete or give a, a more favorable approach to an Indian uh, enterprise coming up and then open the market. Google. Yeah, that's true. Now, those, those countries what we mentioned, though are important or inconsequential because each country has to uh, uh, take care of their country's interest not all. So China is different, India is different, Russia is different. Eh? So and because we are all, I mentioned these countries, they are all space-owned eh? <laughs> uh, countries. They have got a lot of interest in the space. So they have to take their interest into consideration. I see the external service providers, whomever you mentioned, Starling, uh, one web, they are all commercial entities. They want to provide services over uh, India. Fine, that's well understood and probably meet some of the requirements of the uh, Indian enterpri enterprises. But uh, I'm not telling that, okay, we should really come out with a policy to help the foreign uh, service uh, providers at the cost of our own uh, requirement. No, I will not ad advocate that. But if there are any Indian entities uh, coming, maybe we should be flexible enough uh, to come out with an innovative ideas within the framework of the existing policy to help them. Obviously, foreign service providers would like to provide services over India because they have the business potential over India. If that can be met by Indian entity, why not? Huh? See, protectionism huh, is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. But at the same time, exercise the flexibility huh, without impacting the local. When I say local, it is again, so is also uh, considered local. Their interest has to be protected. The Indian companies which are emerging, their interest has to be protected. And the policy has to be respected and complied with. And they need to be more innovative, to be flexible enough to accommodate uh, uh, such techniques. Yeah, because uh, I think this is a very interesting discussion because uh, you can think of it in a different point of view when you think of it from an economic theory perspective. So, because, you know, from an economic theory perspective, uh, you talk about countries' wealth and taxes. Uh, and of course, you know, when you uh, can say that uh, this kind of connectivity provided by anyone, for that matter, uh, it creates tax wealth in the country because ultimately these are people who are providing services in the country and that creates jobs, it creates, you know, uh, economic activity and there's a whole lot of uh, uh, taxes being collected by the state. Uh, because they are providing services then, right? So because ultimately a satellite is just one layer of technology, it's a tool. And ultimately the state needs to get wealth out of that tool to, to benefit out of it. So to say that, you know, I will not allow something uh, blocks the very bit of you being able to collect tax at the end. So, because a lot, a lot, a lot of these, uh, you know, drive uh, decision making, and I think a lot of these uh, get cluttered in uh, in decision making at the end. Correct. In in this connection, what you mentioned, no connectivity, that's very important. In fact, when uh, it's interesting, the GSM, the mobile phone came. It was actually conceived to provide voice connectivity when you are on the move, but uh, very quickly, uh, the uh, technologists and uh, uh, guys who are innovative, they made use of that connectivity that was provided by somebody to drive many applications. Very quickly, the same GSM network, uh, the, uh, the phones, we consider that it can also be used for voice communication. So, so like that, 
once we provide connectivity by different means which we mentioned in fact we should also understand that it drives the technologies uh, and that they can come out with more applications which provide more jobs which more provides more uh, uh, revenue for the country yeah the country can grow economically that's true i agree yeah because ultimately you know the imagine a future where let's say starlink is providing services at the moment globally not in india right so the country's policy to provide connectivity could be that any operator be it foreign or local uh, in that sense should have a local indian entity that provides that is the point of contact for india for the indian government and it doesn't matter where they build those satellites or whatever it is right ultimately the local entity is the one that is providing the capacity and is legally bound to answer to the country and you can even include offset clauses uh, that you know countries include in defense contracts for example saying you know because we are opening up the certain market 30% or 40% of the contract should be or you know equipment must be manufactured in india or you know there's a lot of in- innovative uh, policy making somebody can do to make sure that uh, certain knowledge gets imparted into the local ecosystem and you're not missing out on the whole revolution at that point of time and at the same time the country is actually you know getting the services and may, and collecting taxes at the end that's now probably offset uh, uh, that's probably stage 2 of the thought that's now probably stage uh, yeah. offset has come out in defense because uh-huh. the stakes are very high the offset actually came out because uh, of the uh, quantum of the business involved they wanted certain percentage that like 40% should go to the indian companies to help indian uh, companies whereas in satellite what we are discussing the offset really doesn't work uh, so why we should think that uh, there is there are restrictions restrictions in allowing foreign satellite uh, providers to provide uh, services over india is not only for economical reasons not only because of protectionism but also security requirements that is that is this thing these three are important only eh? so security we cannot compromise that's the reason anything that is applying for india has to land in india before it goes out anything is a well understood uh, concept so in, in the same way so country has to consider the requirement from the security point of view from the protection protectionism uh, point of view if uh, so local companies like isro or any private companies are working on similar kind of project why not we give uh, uh, preference to them when we say preference is given to them that should not deter eh, in not granting licenses to foreign satellite uh, providers just because we have that policy that's why i said that we need we need to be flexible we need to be innovative eh? to give protection to the local guys and also uh, give access to the foreign uh, satellite providers but most importantly these are critical services these are critical services we india has learned uh, painfully from the kargil war experience saying that your dependence on on gps as the only mode of uh, getting locational information has ha- was let down and that's the reason why you have europe looking at an alternate thing i don't know which way that's working but that's beside the point you have russia having its own services you have china having its own uh, gps equivalent and india also developing one so 
any any service you must have an indian component to that service you must have an indian equivalent to that service I, because you're not a small nation you're not a nation which is depending upon tourism or you're not looking upon nation as looking at your dairy products being picked up but you're a nation that can stand on its own feet and probably mm, uh, deliver better services to smaller countries around you so my answer to that would be yeah starlink is welcome but starlink as well we would rather have uh, india link and starlink and not just starlink alone so how about the new landscape because we are coming to the end of the uh, the podcast and so i want to you know talk a little bit about the future because uh, ultimately you're seeing 5g uh evolve you're seeing uh, you know a lot of new services coming up uh, we still have not seen so much of uh, usage of uh, um internet connectivity on aircraft uh evolve in india uh, there's so many other of these uh, technologies that are up and coming uh, across the world and uh, how prepared do you think india is for all this actually uh, india i mean i don't know about 5g and all those services but i can tell you that the the generalized satellite market a lot of things are happening around here lots of things are been it's a market which is getting many people excited especially the young for folks are getting pretty excited about this and i am seeing the uh, convergence of technology here i'm seeing artificial intelligence data analytics uh, overlay uh, satellite imagery and uh, i think in in if if the guys play their cards well they get good support both by the industry and by the government i think we might have some exclusive products uh, coming out using satcom not directly but satcom data analytics uh, from india very soon so i think what what's more important is uh, we need to really apply what i call as walk the talk so that that means uh, whatever we talk no is a doing business help the local entrepreneurs help the local startups huh? all these things should make it happen very quickly in fact technology is in fact they are moving very fast business will not wait eh, for uh, us to uh, take some uh, decision that's very important what they talk is very important as as i mentioned that okay taking all three into considerations the country's interest eh, uh, the domestic uh, operators interest things like that so th- that's very important and it's very interesting in this no we know that okay the, there is a demand huh, for satellite capacity even though things are uh, happening for example uh, fi- fiber is really excellent for point to point communications satellite is excellent for pa- multi point point to multi point multicasting broadcasting kind of application again within that we are telling geo uh, telio uh, and leo ca- constellation things like that. so things are all evolving meet to meet what the broadband requirement of the country so that means we have been talking for the last uh, 20 years to everybody is bandwidth hungry we need bandwidth more bandwidth more bandwidth kind of thing. that's the reason at the same time think how things are uh, evolving maybe within the next uh, 15 to 20 years this kind of broadband may not be required also because of the artificial intelligence machine uh, uh, coming to picture that 
they need eh? machines they need only small bandwidth eh? so yeah, we need band- large bandwidths to uh, download the data so the machines play a major role you don't need uh, such bandwidth maybe in 50 to 20 years t- time eh? because yeah. they need only a small bandwidth uh instead of a large pipe we say thin pipe <laughs> and uh, it it meets uh, most of the requirements uh, of what we are doing because it keeps changing that's the reason what i said is we need to want the talk that means we need to make quick decisions uh, to go along with the changing trends perfect that's correct I mean, the point that, uh, a viewpoint that we carry within Anira is that uh, we might actually, the the requirement might just flip over. It's that uh, there could be the human population using bandwidth in plenty to watch uh, useless content. Whereas the actual content that needs to be driven is going to be communication between two robots or two artificial intelligence processes. And they don't need much bandwidth. They just need a thin pipe to drive along. So, uh, a, a thought line so, that is driving, that is going within uh, Aniara is that maybe there might be a constellation of satellites which are providing thin pipes. And the fat pipes are left for useless data for man to entertain himself. So, you have been supporting a lot of uh, young people doing uh, new things in India. Uh, you know, and uh, given that you have seen a lot of uh, the industry evolve, I think your insights are very useful. Uh, what would be your, uh, you know, encouragement or uh, areas that you think that people should work on, young people in India should work on in the upcoming years on different technology or service areas or, you know, different things that would make this sector more exciting because Astron is only one such Correct. company that is uh, trying to do some things. But, you know, for a country of the size of India, you need a hundred Astron. hundred Astron. You are right. In, in fact, hundred Astroms are already coming up in India, which is very good. Though we spoke about uh, the regulation, things like that uh, in the uh, country, still there are hopes because of large number of startups in space industry and space sector coming up. To answer your specific question, what is your advice to youngsters is, in fact, they should work more on applications. Only very few will work on infrastructure, <laughs> as you mentioned that to provide connectivity, whatever may be that, doesn't matter. Youngsters should really work on uh, applications as we have been seeing lot of new applications are uh, emerging because of the data analytics uh, which uh, uh, Ramesh mentioned so you can capture uh, uh, so, so something using satellite uh, imagery but uh, you need to really uh, use that to provide uh, an, an, uh, let's say many 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 such applications are there youngsters really should work on innovative things they are working on uh, small uh, s- satellites and uh, many applications uh, using such things so uh, in fact there is a, everything everything keep changing keep transforming uh, as we say the change is constant so that's that's happening uh, so how quickly we adapt ourselves to that 
to meet the, the requirements of what we know today or one what we envisage uh, going forward is on which uh, the youngster should work on. Correct. I mean, just to add to what Govind said is that maybe a wo- one word of advice that I might want to give given the grey hair that I have is that, uh, is that uh, don't look at India alone as a market. And most of, uh, most of these uh, young guys uh, want to address India. Uh, the podcast, which has gone for over 45 minutes, one hour, talks about challenges that an Indian business operator faces. So there's a market outside of India. And uh, well demonstrated by the IT sector is that we've done well despite the government. And similarly, we've done well not addressing the Indian market. I would advise all these uh, smart uh, geeks sitting out there and tweaking their uh, models to work. Look beyond India. Look, there's a bigger market out there. And uh, that's an easier market to address. Maybe they should, uh, they should look at it that way and look at India as a second market to come and see. That is probably one advice that I would want to give. So, we've recorded two hours of a conversation. Uh, mm. This is the longest episode of the New Space India podcast so far. I uh, thank uh, both of you deeply for sharing your time, which is the most, uh, you know, biggest asset uh, for you both. Uh, thank you very much for uh, coming on the show and uh, I hope to record a future episode, you know, maybe several years down the line to see how this conversation, uh, you know, is reflecting on the future of several of these companies like Astro shaping up and you know how things will evolve in India. I hope there's a bright future for Yeah, yeah, surely. I mean, exciting times ahead. That's true. Wonderful uh, NP. Uh-huh. In fact, uh, should really appreciate the efforts uh, you have been taking. I know you for the last few years. Uh, so, the, your perseverance and the efforts to change uh, <laughs> is really appreciated. Thank you for staying until the end. If you have any comments or suggestions, please write to curator at newspaceindia.com. Please consider sharing this episode with any friends or family who may be interested in learning about India's space activities. If you would like to stay in touch with the New Space India community, please use the link in the description to join the New Space India Telegram group. Feel free to also suggest guests for any future episodes. A new episode of the New Space India podcast is released every other Friday. Do subscribe to the podcast using Apple, Google or any other podcasting platforms you may use. Until the next episode, thank you.